pastor met someone at the back of the church after the service, and he says, we don't see you very often. And uh, he said, you ought to be up and about the service of the Lord in a greater way. We only see you at Christmas and at Easter. The man whispered in the pastor's ear, well, I'm just part of the secret service. I see some of you here on Christmas. Good to see you. Good to see some of you visiting. We know that you're in the, a part of the service of the Lord other places at other times of the year. I've entitled the message, Christmas Joy, because there's a verse in 1 Timothy 3.16 that I'm taking my outline from today. And I was just thinking about the joy that we have as we reflect on the life of Christ and the meaning it is for us. So if you want to turn there to 1 Timothy 3.16... This verse sums up the life of Christ, and I want to use it as my outline, as I said. In the scripture, there are accounts of God coming to earth or coming into the world in some fashion to be with people. Remember, when Adam and Eve sinned, it says that the voice of the Lord was walking through the garden. You remember when Abraham was confronted by what appeared to be men, but they were angels, and they came and told him that he's going to have a son. And Sarah laughed, but it says the Lord was there with them. Remember when Jacob wrestled with God. Remember the ladder going up and down and remember the things that that Jacob asked for at that time. God appeared to people in different ways over time and in interest of their well-being. God met the children of Israel in the wilderness in the tabernacle with his presence, the cloud. But today we celebrate God coming to earth through Jesus into a world to live among mankind, to be for us our Savior. It was the fullness of time. We can ask the question, why didn't it happen thousands of years before? But it was the fullness of time, Galatians 4, 4 tells us. Let me read 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. This is coming after qualifications of a bishop and of a deacon, and then he's saying why he writes certain things to Timothy, but then he says this verse, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. I put a number beside each of those. There's six of them there. But the introduction to that is, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Mystery is something that we says unsolvable. It's a mystery how gravity works. We'd like to solve it. We know it exists. We'd like to solve it. So is the mystery of godliness. 
But in this sense, it's not just something that's unsolved. It's something that needs to be experienced to be understood. So the scripture numerous times talks about the mystery of the gospel. And I like that. Without controversy, great is the mystery of what you and I have this morning. It's a mystery to those who aren't willing to open themselves up to godliness. Without controversy is the idea of being beyond question. By general consent, I can't understand all of that until it's divinely shown to us. When it's divinely shown to us, we know without a shadow of a doubt, there is a God, and there is a Savior, and there is a purpose for our existence. So let's uh, go through these six different points here. God was manifest in the flesh. 2,000 years ago, when Jesus came, the world was in a dark place. There was 400 years of silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And the world was looking for the Messiah. They had been looking for the Messiah. The Jewish people every day would say, perhaps today the Messiah would come. And they had throughout the scriptures, in most every book in the Old Testament, something about the Messiah. Genesis 3.15 speaks about the Messiah. In Exodus, we have the Passover, which looks forward to Jesus being the sacrificial lamb. We have through Leviticus, the high priests and their responsibility, pointing to Christ and his responsibility for us. We have in Deuteronomy, Moses' prophecy that there's going to be a great prophet that is going to come, and the meaning of that great prophet. And so through the Old Testament, it was very clear to the people that there was a Messiah coming, but there was a period of great darkness. And here we are 2,000 years ago when this spiritual darkness all of a sudden had a light enter in, a virgin birth. We read in Luke the Christmas story, and I hope that you take time to read that or have read that this Christmas season. But in Luke, we see details about Jesus' life that are more intricate, more detailed than any other of the Gospels. And Luke was a writer that is known as a physician, but also a writer. And you hope that your brain surgeon likes details, don't you? You, you would like that your heart surgeon would like details. And, and Luke is obviously a detailed person. If you look through his writings of Luke and of Acts, you would find there that he has listed 32 countries, 54 cities, nine islands. Okay, you can go to each one of those. His detail was accurate, and archaeologists used the book of Luke. Even unbelieving archaeologists used the book of Luke because of those kinds of details that he was accurate in. How then should we doubt the virgin birth or the details are surrounding Joseph and Mary or who was leader? There have been questions about Luke 2 and the, the leader that was named there. 
But it come to find out in history, archaeologists have found out that that leader had two different time frames that he served. And so Luke was accurate to the T. Luke believed there was a virgin birth, and it was essential. The prophets predicted in Isaiah 7, 14, there would be a virgin birth. You see it on your Christmas cards. The early church fathers, the early Christians believed it universally that there was a virgin birth. Why does that matter? Because we needed, we needed that Savior who was perfect, who was 100% God, who was 100% man. Jesus took on the form of us without losing his divinity. The immaterial, the spirit realm associated with the physical realm of Mary allowed that to be. His eternal holy nature is important for us to understand. If Joseph would have been the father, it would have passed on the sin nature. But Jesus did not have the sin nature as we have. Coming in the flesh, coming to earth because he loved us. We know John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave Jesus left the glories of heaven to come to be one of us. He needed to come so that salvation's plan could be fulfilled. God was manifest in the flesh. Secondly, Jesus was justified by the Spirit. Notice the capital S there, referring to the Holy Spirit. How many times in the Gospels do you read that the Holy Spirit affirmed Jesus? Or that a voice came out of heaven affirming Jesus? Proved who he said he was. Furnished evidence that he was the Son of God. How many times did people who listened to Jesus say, you know, how could this be? How could a man speak like this? Anytime there was unbelief that Jesus was the Messiah, they needed to consider what the Holy Spirit did through him because they couldn't do what he did. Anytime there was a question, where did this man come from? They had to ask the question, is this the Messiah? Is this the one that was prophesied about? Prophets have been directed by the Spirit to describe his coming. How did that all line up, that all of that could happen in one person, beyond the realm of possibility? It was a supernatural event that one person could fulfill over 300 prophecies by coming and being human. Jesus went about doing good, healing the sick, restoring the afflicted, raising the dead, and he showed through that that he was more than just mere man. The Spirit affirmed through Jesus. The Spirit showed that he was 
more than you and me. The third one, scene of angels. Think about the angels that surrounded the events that we're celebrating today. An angel told Mary that Jesus is going to be born. An angel told Joseph that Jesus was going to be born. The angels even told the name they were to call him. We know the angels came to the shepherds. We know that there was that announcement, those hallelujahs that the angels sang. They directed Jesus as he went, was taken to Egypt on that little interlude when he has, had gone to Egypt that his life could be spared. The angels directed Joseph and Mary in that. At the events of Jesus' life, we see angels coming to minister to him at his temptations. Right before his ministry began, we see the temptations. The angels came and ministered to him. They strengthened him in the garden. An angel rolled the stone away so that Jesus' grave was open for all to see. An angel announced the resurrection to, the, to Mary, to those who came to the tomb. Angels were present at Jesus' ascension. We know angels have been a part of our life too, but we can't say specifically always when, can we? We just know that the Bible says that angels do guard. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him. We believe that. But here were specific times in scripture that it speaks that the angels gave testimony that Jesus was who he said he was or affirmed that he was where he was supposed to be. To the Jew, the next one seemed unlikely. He was preached unto the Gentiles. The Jewish nation had much pride, maybe even arrogancy, about their position. They knew they were their chosen people. They knew the Messiah was to come through them. But if they read their prophecy, it was that through Abraham, all nations would be blessed. Through them... There would be a way for the Gentiles to also receive the plan of salvation. I'll read one of those. Isaiah 49, 6. It's a light thing that thou shouldst be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved of Israel. I will also give thee for a light to the Gentiles that thou mayest be my salvation unto the end of the earth. Jesus was preached unto the Gentiles. And we know what Paul says numerous times. There's neither Jew nor Gentile. The wall of petition has been broken down. Jesus came for you and for me, for all of us, that all could believe. 
And Jesus even said there in John 10, he said, you know, there's other sheep that I have beside you as Jewish people. I'm going to be calling other people beside just you. Until the coming of Jesus, it didn't seem clear to the Jews that the Messiah would be for all people. As a believer, as a Gentile believer, that means worlds to us. As a Gentile believer, we look on that promise back there with Abraham, and we say, thank you. Thank you, God, for including all people. Is my attitude and my action reflecting what I have in Christ? Number five, believed on in the world. Probably the hardest thing that people have to grapple with who are atheists or who are agnostic is what do you do with the account of Jesus? Was it a made-up story? Why do people lift him up? Why does most every religion have someone, something involved with salvation? It's a hard proposition for an infidel to reject the writings about Jesus, both in the Bible and historically. There's no second person to Jesus. Like we said, they looked at Jesus and said, no man ever spoke like him. There's something different about him. People look at him and say he was a good man. But he was more than that. He became the ideal of every age and of every race. You watch that. Every age and every race has to consider this man, Jesus. He is the ideal of every age and every race. We're all unbelievers by nature, but the light has shined into our hearts. And we have, by choice, accepted that. And we have the privilege of this Christmas joy. We have this privilege, this glorious privilege of knowing Jesus. Those who don't believe Jesus will someday believe in Jesus. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. We recognize that you and I today are believers because we've chosen to open up to believe. And if may I again today, I'm going to share two stories from this week of unbelievers of even atheists to help us to see what God is doing in our world today and to encourage you that our Jesus is alive. On Thursday, I had a call from a 20-year-old lady. 
She had been in the depths of sin. She had not known Jesus as her savior. She was struggling with life to such a degree that she actually had a mental breakdown at some point. Depression and discouragement. She had gone to college. She vowed to the sorority. She would be loyal to them. That organization empowered her life. She partied, did all kinds of things. One day, she noticed the party life was growing, getting old. She said, what's, what's happening? She went to a party with her friends, but she left early. Some of her other friends left early too, and they decided they're gonna go somewhere and do some drugs. She said, no, I'm just gonna go home. She went home. She had tarot cards. She had witchcraft in her life. She went home. She said, something's happening to me. On campus, she had walked by a Bible laying on the ground. Didn't touch it, didn't pick it up, but there was a Bible, a little testament, laying on the ground, and it made her curious. She started to think about God. She started to think about where her life was at. She said, I was a very liberal person in my thoughts, but all of a sudden I'm starting to think, no, there has to be some structure. She said, I became a more conservative person in thought about the seriousness of life. 20 years old. She went to bed that night. And through that night, she woke up and she was just sweating. She was just thinking. The next morning, she got up. And it was like a load that had lifted off of her. And within a day or two, she gave her heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. It wasn't that somebody preached to her. It was the Spirit of God who worked on her. That just happened, brothers and sisters. She called to say she's growing in her Christian experience. I didn't know her before. I had no part of her conversion experience. She called to say... Jesus is real. I know that. And she said, I aim to serve him. 80 minutes later, after praying with her, after she hung up, I just said, yes, that's why I'm a Christian. To be able to experience something of the supernatural, to see God at work in somebody's life. That was Thursday. Friday, a 22-year-old fella called. And he said, Dale, I was a full-blown atheist, but now I'm a Christian. He said, let me tell you a little bit of my background. I don't know you, but I'm gonna tell you my background. When I was four years old, I went to a church. And at that church, they had a drama 
where they crucified Jesus. I went home traumatized and said, someday I'm going to go to church and they're going to crucify me. He hadn't been to church very much, but that experience of that drama affected him, and he became an atheist. He said a full-blown atheist at the age of 11. And here he is, now 22 years old. He said at 20, he struggled and struggled with life. And he came to the place where he, too, was at the end of himself. And one night he cried to God and said, God, if you are there, you have to show yourself to me. You have to prove yourself to me. Our point here, believed on in the world, is still happening today. This was a year and a half ago. This man cried that. And he said to me, Dale, he said, I don't know what happened. I can't logically process any of this. I'm an educated man. I'm always thinking logically. This doesn't make any kinds of sense. But I know without a shadow of a doubt that there's a God. I know without a shadow of a doubt there's a Jesus. And that he saved my soul and brought me out of that, that darkness. That's today, brothers and sisters. That's the Jesus that we're celebrating his birth coming into the world. Those two calls brought me Christmas joy. The mystery of godliness. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. But because it's not a mystery that can't be known, we understand in part because we've opened up to the Spirit of God and allow him to work in our lives. It's a glorious thing to become a believer. Without Jesus, there would not have been forgiveness of sins. And if there was no forgiveness... Our sins would be piled up, sin upon sin, transgression upon transgression, heaped iniquity, added to iniquity, a burden that would completely drag us to where those two young people were. If Jesus would not have come, there would be no clear understanding of the world to come. We understand something about heaven, something about the glories of heaven because of, of Jesus coming. The soul lives on after death. The body one day will rise again. Point number six, Jesus was received up into glory. I don't know about you, but that gives me an interest in heaven. sitting at the right hand of God, interceding for us. 
being our mediator, being our helper, being our advocate. We have a high priest set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of God. 2 Corinthians 9:15. thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. This Christmas, God has nothing to sell. But he has something to freely give. May we pass it on. A thousand times in history, there's been a baby that's become a king. But there's only once that a king has become a baby so that he could take us to be a part of his heavenly kingdom. I've always thought of Christmas time as time of, it's a good time. It's a time when people are kind, a little bit more forgiving perhaps, a little more interested in other people perhaps. Should be that all the time. Somehow let us give what we have unashamedly. The verse here this morning in First Timothy 3.16 is a verse that gives an elevated view of the plan of salvation. And its grandeur and its glory. Let's share it with those that we can. Let's kneel together for prayer. Father, joy is an inside job. And we have joy today only because of what you've done within us. There's many people looking for happiness, but that's dependent on circumstances. We thank you for the joy of forgiveness, for the joy of relationship, for the joy of hope. We thank you for Jesus, the most important figure ever in history. The one who all admire and seek to be like in some way, shape, or form. Father, he's more than our friend. We recognize He's our Savior and our Lord. Thank you for this congregation of people today. Bless them through this day. In Jesus' name, amen.